You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, friends, for whatever reason, the message from this last Sunday didn't get recorded, and so here I am in my office going to go over the text as we covered it in the sermon. This is always awkward because I'm actually talking to no one, and I've said before that it is easier to preach to 2,000 people than it is to 200 people, and it's easier to preach to 200 people than it is to 20, and it is easier to preach to 20 than it is to nobody, because here I am staring at my screen, talking to nobody, and trying to cover the passage as we covered it on Sunday. So I'm not going to attempt really to preach the message, but just to go over the text and kind of talk about some of the things that are in the text there um, as we work our way through. The passage is uh, John 15, beginning at verse 26 and covering verses 26 and 27. So I'll read the passage, and then we'll kind of go over the text together. Verse 26 reads, But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. So this passage is obviously talking about the Holy Spirit, and it seems something of an abrupt, radical change of subject, does it not? That Jesus would be speaking about the hatred of the world in verses 18 through 25, and then suddenly he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But I really don't see it as an abrupt change of subject so much as as Jesus is attempting here to kind of weave two thoughts together, um, two things that might seem opposites or, or, or might seem like they don't go together. They actually do. In fact, if you read the larger context, you'll notice in chapter 15, verses 18 to 25, he's talking about the hatred of the world. Then 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit. And then we continue into chapter 16. You get into 16, verses 1 through uh, 4 deals again with the hatred of the world, and then beginning in verse 5 in chapter 16 through verse 15, back to the Holy Spirit. So we have the hatred of the world, the Holy Spirit, the hatred of the world, and the Holy Spirit. And I think what Jesus is doing is he is reminding the disciples, in the context of talking about the hatred of the world, he is reminding his disciples that though they will face the world's hatred, and that in itself is a rather daunting realization, that they have the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father is giving, whom the Father is sending, who will help them face that hatred and help them to stand for the truth and for the gospel in the face of the world's hatred. And so he's, he's warning them about the world's hatred, but then reminding them, you have the Holy Spirit. Warning them about the world's hatred and what that's going to look like, and reminding them, you have the Holy Spirit. And so that's what's going on there. So we come now to the, the this passage on the Holy Spirit, and the emphasis here is on the on the ministry of the Spirit in testifying through believers. Verse 26, the beginning, says, when the Helper comes, and the end of verse 26 says, he will testify about me. And that's really the central idea. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit he will testify about me. And all of the other information between the front of that verse and the back of that verse is information about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, things that indicate who he is and and what he does. But the central point of this passage is on the testimony of the Spirit of God. Now, this is the third of four passages or sections on the Holy Spirit in this farewell discourse. 
We looked at two of them already. One in chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and I'll read the passage and we'll kind of review there what it was that we covered back in chapter 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And when we covered that passage, we, we saw that the Son asks the Father for the Holy Spirit to be sent to his people, and the Father sends the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. And in that passage, Jesus called him another Helper. And that word another is the word meaning another of the same nature or of the same kind. The Holy Spirit then being of the same nature, the same kind, the same essence as the Son. So there we get a glimpse at the deity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God in the same way that Jesus is God. He, They share together, the triune God shares together this one nature, this one essence, which is the being and the nature of God. And so the Holy Spirit is another helper. And Jesus says that this helper will be with us forever, that he is the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because the world is darkened in its understanding. It cannot know the truth. It does not see the truth. It does not receive the truth. But the spirit, the, the Christians receive the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the helper, uh, because the Son asks the Father and the Father sends the spirit to believers. The second passage is in chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus said, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. And in that passage, Jesus is emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit in being the teacher of Christians and bringing to the disciples' remembrance all that he had said and taught them. And so there, again, the Helper is called the Holy Spirit, and we find out that the Father sends the Holy Spirit to his people in the name of the Son. So now we come back to chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, and... Uh, our, our outline is going to be from phrases that are taken right out of the text there. We're going to see that the, this testimony of the Spirit in verses 26 and 27, the testimony of the Spirit is to the world. We gather that from the context. The testimony is from the Father, and the testimony is about Christ. This testimony is through believers. So the Holy Spirit's testimony is to the world, from the Father, about Christ, and through believers. That's a brilliant outline, so you've already probably figured out that it's not original with me. It actually borrowed that from John MacArthur's commentary on the passage, and as I read that, I thought, well, that, that perfectly captures the essence of the text, and so there's really no need there to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to use his outline sort of in its broad strokes. So the testimony of the Holy Spirit is to the world. Now, this is not something that is explicitly stated in the text, but something that we gather from the context. The text does not say to whom this testimony is made, but we can deduce this, that it is to the world, since in this context, both before and after this text, Jesus talks about the world and the world's hatred of the Father, the world's hatred of the Son, the world's hatred of Christians, and that this hatred is unjustified. And then he mentions the Spirit of God coming and testifying, and that we too will testify. And then he's back to talking about the world again. And in the very next passage that deals with the Holy Spirit, verses 5 through 15, in verse 8 of that passage, Jesus speaking of the Spirit said, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So this passage is dealing with the Spirit's relationship to the world. And this might sound trite. It might sound like it uh, doesn't need to be said, but you, you would be surprised at how easy Christians, easily Christians forget this, I think, that our testimony is to the world and our job is to present the truth about Christ to the world. 
the world will respond with hatred. The world will respond with hostility because they hate the truth and they're going to push back against us. But the very thing that we are called to give to the world is the thing that elicits the world's hatred, namely the truth. And so we are to proclaim Christ in the face of the world. There's no plan here to accommodate the world. There's no there's no PR plan in Scripture to get the world to hate us less. There's there's no way of doing that. Jesus gives to us one one approach to the world that hates us, and that is to testify in the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit's testimony is to the world, and this is going to bring the hatred of the world upon the church. And two things will happen from that. Either the world will increase its hatred and hostility, or the world will be converted. If the world increases in its hatred and hostility and pours that out upon Christians um, in their hatred of the truth, then we're blessed because blessed are you when all men speak evil of you and and persecute you for the name of Christ. That is Jesus' promise. And then we are blessed if the world is converted. So either way, no matter what the world does, in in the face of, of our, us proclaiming the truth, whether it responds with hatred and persecution or whether it gets converted by the power of the Spirit and the, and the sovereignty of God in that conversion act, then we are blessed. We receive the blessing from that. So the word helper here, you'll notice in verse 26, when the helper comes, whom, the Father will, whom I will send from the Father, the word helper there is the word paraclete. Uh, it is a, a compound of two Greek words, para, meaning alongside of, as in parallel, and kaleo, which means is the verb, which means to call. And the word had a variety of meanings. It, its very literal rendering would be one called alongside to help. That is kind of the idea, one called alongside to help. And it is impossible in one English word to capture all of the meaning of that one Greek word. Um, but paraclete was somebody who was a helper, a comforter, a counselor, an exhorter, an intercessor, an encourager, an advocate. Outside the New Testament, the word was used of a legal counselor, someone called in to plead the case or to argue for somebody or, or to present them and represent them in court and to present their case uh, before someone else. It's used five times in the Bible, only five times in the New Testament. And interestingly, all five times are used the word is used, it is used by John. Uh, John is the only New Testament author to use the term. He uses it four times in this larger section, this farewell discourse, uh, twice in chapter 14, once in chapter 15, once in chapter 16, all four times that John mentions the Holy Spirit in this upper room discourse, he calls him the helper. And the fifth time that it's used in the New Testament is in 1 John 2, verse 1, a familiar verse to many of you. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's, that word translated advocate is paraclete. And there Jesus is called the paraclete. And, and the imagery is one of, of us standing in the courtroom of God's righteousness. And we have an advocate. We have one who is called in alongside to plead our case in the courtroom of God's righteousness. And that is the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And so you can see in this context, in fact, you can see in all of these contexts how how this word helper or advocate really has the idea, uh, sort of a legal connotation, the idea of one called in alongside to plead our case for us and to help us in pleading our case, to testify. In fact, the word testify is even right here in verse 26 and again in verse 27. The Holy Spirit testifies, we testify, but we have a counselor. We have an, a lawyer, as it were, somebody called in who, who is an expert at this to help us plead our case. Charles Spurgeon so eloquently described this when he said this, It was the comfort of the Spirit which brought the martyrs to stand before their accusers and to face death without fear. It was the comfort of the Holy Spirit which led the Waldenses to count not their lives dear to them. 
It made Luther so brave in the face of danger and Latimer so merry upon the blazing stake. Many a man has died in ecstasy under the power of this consolation, and many a woman has pined away slowly, rejoicing to do so, because when heart and flesh have failed her, this consolation has been the strength of her soul. If you can know the Holy Spirit as your paraclete, you need not desire any other consolation. So we have this counselor, we have an advocate who is called alongside us to help us testify, even in the face of the, the world's outward hostile hatred poured out upon us because we love the truth, and that person, that advocate, is none other than the helper of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit's testimony is to the world. Second, it's from the Father. Now, according to our, vo- our verse, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, in that verse, it is Jesus who is going to send the Helper from the Father. But that sounds a little bit different than the two other verses we just read a few minutes ago from chapter 14. John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper. He, that is the Father. In John 14:26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So who is it that sends the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to his people? Is it the Father or the Son? Does the Father send the Spirit or does the Son send the Spirit? And the answer to that question is yes. And so here we get a glimpse at this close relationship between the Father and the Son. And we see this oneness of will, this oneness of work and nature. The Son asks the Father, and the Father and the Son, in response to the Son's request of the Father, both of them are active in sending the Helper in the name of the Son. Verse 26 is one of these great Trinitarian verses. You can tell that it is is not modalistic, because all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. And it is obviously, there there is a relationship between them, which is impossible in modalism. Modalism being the the belief that God is one person who plays three separate and distinct roles, but here we have the Helper coming, whom the, fa- the Son is sending, and from the Father, there's three separate persons having three separate and distinct activities in this transaction. So it's a Trinitarian verse, and this gives us a lot of structure of the relationship of the three persons in terms of how they work together. Um, when we describe the when we describe the being of the Trinity or the or the the ontological the, the nature of its of the trinity's uh, uh, nature substance essence that would be called an ontological look at the trinity but when we describe how the different persons of the trinity work in history and in redemption that is what that is a study of what we call the economic trinity that is the roles and functions of each person and sometimes each of these persons has a different role or function assigned to them that is uniquely theirs for instance we never re- refer to the father as dying on the cross that's a heresy known as patropassianism. That's the wrong person dying on the cross. Nor do we say that the Holy Spirit died on the cross, but only the Son. The death on the cross was something unique and distinct to the work of the Son in the redemption of his people. And likewise, the work and activity of election in eternity past and then of giving a people to the Son that is never said to be the, the role or work of the Father, sorry, of the Holy Spirit, and, and it's not usually characterized as the role of the Son in choosing a people, but something that is uniquely the activity of, of the Father. Further, the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is said to be the one who distributes spiritual gifts and sanctifies his people and regenerates and gives eternal life. Those are the, are the workings and functions of the of the Holy Spirit. And so you see there when we describe the Trinity in terms of their roles and their functions that each can have a, a, a unique role, a unique function that they perform or that they do. And that is, the, that is the view of the economic Trinity. Now, some of the functioning and roles of the Godhead are 
are said to be done by all three persons. For instance, the Father is said to raise Christ from the dead, the Son said that he raised himself from the dead, and the Holy Spirit is said to raise the Son from the dead. So there you have the same activity performed by all three persons. But here we have the Father sending the Spirit, or sorry, the, the Father, the Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son sending the Spirit. This is the different functions and roles within the Trinity. The Spirit is the sent one. And it's always important to remember that when we describe the roles and relationship of the persons of the Trinity, that in describing this, we are no, in no way suggesting or implying any kind of inferiority between the persons. So when we say that the Spirit is the one who is sent and comes at the command of the Father and the Son, we're not suggesting that the Spirit is lesser than the Father or the Son, that he is a lesser God or a lesser being. Now we can, Just as we can affirm that the Father sent the Son, and the Son came in obedience to the Father, and yet the Father and the Son are one, and the Father and the Son are equal, co-equal, and co-eternal, the different functions does not imply an inferiority. Now you'll notice in verse 26 that the word proceeds is used. right? That the Spirit who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. When we speak of this, this is a word that describes the relationship between the Father and the Spirit. When we talk about the relationship between the Father and the Son, we use the term begetting or begotten. Uh, when we use, when we describe the, the relationship between the Spirit and the Father, we use the term proceeding or procession. The Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Father begets the Son. The Son is begotten by the Father. And when we use these terms, oftentimes we, we think in terms of, we, we think in terms of uh, a time when this started to happen. Even when we use the term begetting, we, we think of term in, t in terms of a time when this relationship of begetting began. But there was no time when the begetting began. It is an eternal begottenness. It is a begottenness that has existed from all of eternity. This relationship has always been there. The Son has always been begotten of the Father. That describes the relationship. And just as the Spirit has always proceeded from the Father, it is an eternal procession. Now, at that point, our minds cry out and we long for more information. We say, we want to know more of what this means and what this looks like. But we're not given more of what that means and what that looks like. We're just told that it's true. And so we can't go beyond what's written. And all we can do is affirm what Scripture teaches using the language that Scripture uses and say that the Son is begotten of the Father and the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And beyond that, we cannot go. We say that these, these words describe an eternal relationship. They describe a relationship that had no beginning but one that has always existed. And the key point to remember here in, in all of this talk is that when, when we are describing the relationship or the testimony of the Spirit from the Father, we are to be reminded that when we give testimony to the truth of who Christ is, that it is the Father himself that is backing up that testimony, for it comes from the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father, and the Spirit testifies concerning the Son at the will of the Father, and it is the Father who is the God of all truth, the Father of all truth. He is the one who, who, who himself is, is giving and sending the Spirit of God to testify on behalf of the Son. Now, something you may not know is that this passage is somewhat of a battleground over a very famous controversy in church history. I'm going to give you a little glimpse into something called the Filioque Controversy that led to the Great Schism of 1054, that is the year 1054. A Filioque is spelled F-I-L-I-O-Q-U-E, sometimes pronounced Filioque. That sounds kind of French. 
um, sometimes just pronounced filioque, and depending on what Latin pronunciation website you happen to visit. Now, there's a, a benefit to, to knowing about this, uh, number one, because it's kind of tied to the text, but uh, second, you sound really smart if you can say filioque and kind of drop that in conversation somewhere. So the heresy really, uh, or this whole issue in church history kind of goes back to around 325 with the Council of Nicaea, something called the Arian heresy. The Arian heresy taught that Jesus was not fully God, but a lesser divine being who was the first creation of the Father. Uh, that heresy was condemned at the Council of Nicaea, and uh, the Council wrote a creed called the, called the Nicene Creed, and its wording you are probably familiar with. It reads in part this way, I believe in one God, the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Now, the council did not deal with the issue of the Holy Spirit. There was a statement in 325 that said they believed in the Holy Spirit, but there was a, a sort of an expanded statement on the person of the Holy Spirit added to the creed at the great, the first great ecumenical council, the Council of Constantinople in 381, and they included a statement on the Holy Spirit intended to affirm the deity of the Holy Spirit. And that statement reads, quote, And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Now you can see the language there in that statement in the Nicene Creed about the Holy Spirit comes straight out of chapter 15, verse 26, the Spirit who proceeds from the Father. Now all was well after 381 for about 200 years until some churches in the western part of the empire added the phrase, and the Son, to the creed. Now filioque is Latin for and the Son. And this happened at a local church council in Toledo, not Ohio, but what is in now Spain. And in 589, the churches in the West added that phrase, and the Son, to the creed, so that it read this way. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, the churches in the West, they did this in order to combat heresies, lingering heresies regarding Jesus that made him something of a lesser deity. And the concern of the Western Church was to show in that statement the equality of the Son as being one in nature with the Father and responsible for sending the Spirit. And they wanted to guard the doctrine of the divinity of Christ. And they argued that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of Christ in the New Testament. Jesus is said to be one who sent him even here in, in this very verse, verse 26 of chapter 15. But the Eastern Church had a problem with that. They saw this as undermining the unique authority and position of the Father. They said this went beyond what was explicitly stated because we have a verse that describes and talks about the procession of the Spirit from the Father, but there is no verse in the New Testament. There's no verse anywhere in Scripture that says that the Spirit proceeds from the Son. So they thought that this was going beyond what was written. And that added phrase, the, the filioque phrase, over the course of the next 450 years, kind of caught on and increased in acceptance and usage, and it was officially endorsed by the Catholic Church in the year 1017. And this led to the Great Schism. The Church in the East split off from the Church in the West, and the Church, uh, the church in the East uh, is what we, what we recognize as the Eastern Orthodox and Rus Russian Orthodox Churches, and, of course, in the West, you had the Roman Catholic Church. And this great division is known as the East-West Schism, or the Great Schism, or the Schism of 1054. And the theological issues 
at the heart of that controversy and at the heart of that split come right out of John 15, verse 26. Now, the truth is that there were a bunch of other considerations in that big split. You had controversies over who the real pope was and immorality in the papacy, uh, just unimaginable immorality. You had controversy over where the capital city of the empire should be and who should be ruling it and who the actual pope was and where, and where he should be seated. And But this is the theological issue that they say sparked that division. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, that seems like such an inconsequential thing to cause such a big split, then you would not be the first person to come to that conclusion. And I, I cannot help but think, and I would suggest that there really would have never been a division over this issue had it not been for all of the other contributing factors that was causing strife and conflict between the east and western sides of the empire and the church. So that's uh, that all comes out of chapter 15, verse 26. Now back to our text. So the testimony of the Holy Spirit is, is to the world. It's from the Father. And third, it is about Christ. Jesus said at the end of verse 26, he will testify about me. That is what the Spirit of God empowers. The testimony of the Spirit of God empowers testimony concerning Jesus Christ. That he is, Jesus is the truth incarnate. And Jesus said in John 16:14, he will glorify me for he will take up mine and will disclose it to you. The focus of the Holy Spirit is not on the believer. The focus of the Holy Spirit is not on giving testimony about you or how you have improved or how, how, how things have gone better with you since you came to faith in Christ. The Spirit is empowered and empowers believers to testify about Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives testimony concerning Christ to the glory of the Father. And this is what makes the Trinity of God so magnificent, so, so incredible. The Spirit gives testimony concerning Christ without ever slighting the Father. It's not as if the Father is in heaven saying, hey, Spirit, testify about me for once, would you? No, the, the Spirit testifies about Christ so that people may look to Christ and see in Christ all of the glory of the Father, since Christ is the express image of God, of the Father. And in beholding the Lord Jesus Christ, we honor Him, we love Him, we worship Him, we obey Him, and in doing so, we are honoring, worshiping, loving and obeying the Father, the triune God. So the, the Father sends the Spirit to testify to the Son so that people in the Son may see the glory of the triune God. That is just amazing. And this testimony concerning Christ is the heart and soul of Christian preaching. Read through the book of Acts, and you will find that the apostles were relentless in their testimony of Jesus Christ. He is the sum the substance, the beginning, the end, the central theme of all their preaching. Jesus Christ was that. All that they preached was about Christ. It is Holy Spirit-enabled, Holy Spirit-empowered preaching and testimony, and the subject is always Jesus Christ, and that is the faithful testimony of Christians for 2,000 years. Now, the world hates that testimony. The world hates Jesus Christ, but the Spirit testifies of Christ. So the Spirit ends up giving to the world the one thing that the world does not want. The Spirit ends up proclaiming through us to the world the one thing that the world hates more than anything else, the one thing that they do not want to hear, and that is testimony concerning Christ. That's what we're called to do, and that, that's what we do. That's our message. The world hates it, and the world will increasingly hate it, and the world rejects it. But what are we to do? We are to preach Christ and Him crucified. The Christian message is not a message of love and tolerance and peace and diversity and brotherly kindness and community involvement. The Christian message is not a message of of politics, political political messages, political movements, political activism, a political system. 
The message of Christianity is not cultural engagement or taking back dominion or gaining back territory. The message is, is not some therapeutic self-help, self-improvement, personal betterment system. The message of Christianity is the message of Christ and Him crucified. As Paul said to the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that's the very thing that the world hates, and that's the very thing that the Spirit is empowering believers to testify to, of to the world, to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the testimony of the Spirit is to the world, from the Father, about Christ, and forth, in verse 27, it is through believers. Who are the mouth? Who, who is the mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit? It's believers. Verse 27, and, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying to the disciples, you, they were uniquely qualified to bear witness to who Christ is and what he said and what he taught. Uh, because they had been with him from the beginning. And we have their testimony written down to, for us in the 27 books of the New Testament and sealed with their martyr's blood. And they have borne testimony to Christ, and we stand in that long line of faithful proclaimers, preachers, teachers, and faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ to proclaim to the world the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Christ is. Even though they hate us and though they persecute us, the Spirit of God uses our mouths, our testimony, to that end of bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit testifies to believers. We can't sit back and say, well, this is the job of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to let it says the Word says the Spirit testifies, and so I'm going to say nothing, and I'm just going to let the Spirit testify. That, that is not how God has chosen to work. We are the appointed means to the appointed end of the Holy Spirit bearing testimony to the world. We testify as well. But this is the good news. The good, the good news for us is that though the world will oppose our message, and the world, though the world will resist us, we have the Helper, and the Helper cannot be overcome by the world. The world cannot thwart his purposes. He is the almighty God. He is the third member of the triune God. So when we bear witness to the person of Christ, to the glory of the Father, to the power of the Spirit, we have the triune God empowering our ministry through the Helper, the Holy Spirit, for the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, what are we called to do? To testify, to testify to the world, and we have the Helper to help us, the Advocate, the comforter. We have the paraclete called alongside to help us bear testimony to the world from the Father about the Son and he does so through believers. So that's the passage, John 15, 26 and 27. I apologize that this sounds like me just sitting lecturing to nobody. Um, always awkward, always weird when you got to sit down and record something like this. Um, never know how many people are listening to it, but I hope it was a blessing and uh, Lord willing, we will uh, not miss it next Sunday. And next Sunday we will be in John chapter 16. So until next time, Grace to you, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.